Welcome to Freedom Highway. It is Tuesday, April 12th. At 9 o'clock here in Kingston, New York. I'm Nick Pankin. Thank you for listening. I'm glad to be with you here for uh, for this next hour, 59 minutes or so. Uh, we're going to start the show out and see where it takes us, see how long it takes us. Um, in recognition of one of the absolute giants of Freedom Highway, we're going to honor the recent anniversary of, uh, of his birth, Paul Leroy Robeson, who was born on April 9th, 1898 in Princeton, New Jersey. Paul Robeson was celebrated for his accomplishments as an athlete, a stage and film actor, a lawyer, orator, a concert vocalist, and recording artist who performed in apparently 20 different languages. Pretty incredible. And each one of these uh, being really remarkable accomplishments, uh, most especially as a black man living under legalized white supremacy in the United States, particularly in the uh, first, uh, well, really active in the first half and first three quarters of the 20th century in the United States. Um, but beyond the significance of these really irrefutable demonstrations of excellence within a system and society that designated him a second-class citizen, Paul Robeson was fiercely outspoken with his political convictions. And those political convictions, as with so many of his notable characteristics, were quite thoroughly developed. As we will hear tonight, he would often speak on the connections between racial segregation, worker exploitation colonialism and war. The son of a formerly enslaved black American, he identified that this was a legacy of racial discrimination as well as one of labor expropriation. And he was deeply involved in the struggles to overcome these vicious uh, intersecting legacies far beyond the release of black Americans from the bonds of chattel slavery. Let's hear from Robeson in his own words, speaking about this legacy. Then we'll hear his uh, his really beautiful recording. Uh, in fact, uh, the very first uh, recording um, of a song that was first published in 1867 in a book called Slave Songs of the United States. Uh, but first, a brief clip of Paul Robeson speaking about his Background. I come from a slave father, not grandfather, a slave father, born in eastern North Carolina in 1843, escaped from slavery in 1858, a contemporary co-fighter with Frederick Douglass, Harriet Tubman, John Brown, Sojourner Truth, and William Lloyd Garrison for the freedom not only of the Negro people, but of millions of white workers caught in the same serfdom as their black brothers and sisters. So are brothers and sisters from Mexico, the Philippines, 
from the lands of Asia, from the West Indies, from Latin America, have come to these shores to share the same fate. And all through our history, the working masses, colored and white, speaking many languages, representatives of the finest of the old and new world cultures, have had to fight every step of the way for a decent wage, for decent homes, for decent education for their children, for human dignity itself. for me no more no more no more action block for me many thousand gone there from 1947 Paul Robeson singing No More Auction Block a song that was first published in 1867 in a book called Slave Songs of the United States and uh, and before that we heard Paul Robeson speaking uh, to Marine Cooks and st- to the Marine Cooks and Stewards Convention in San Francisco in 1951 and that audio is uh, is found on a um, a well it's a record it's called Words Like Freedom, and it was put out by the Freedom Archives in 2008. And it's all, uh, it's all uh, recordings of Paul Robeson speaking uh, in interviews, in public speeches, as well as a uh, really uh, fantastic uh, historical recording that we will uh, hopefully have time to hear later on in the show uh, of Robeson defiantly uh, appearing before the House Un-American Activities Committee. Uh, in the United States uh, House of Representatives. Um, But uh, we're going to keep going with some music um, here at the the top. Um, 
this is going to be uh, well. This is a piece, a little bit of background here from the uh, from the Howard Zinn Education Project, uh, a page on um, Paul Robeson's uh, anti-fascist. Uh, involvement. It says, uh, Paul Robeson's concerns about fascism in the 1930s, military aggression, racial injustice, civilian bombings, and forced population displacement remain issues of our own time. By the mid-1930s, Paul Robeson had achieved international acclaim as an actor, singer, and public personality who criticized racism. The rise and expansion of fascism in Germany and Italy and other parts of the world intensified his concerns about the precarious state of democracy, freedom, and social justice. After the Spanish Civil War began in 1936, Robeson threw his support behind the elected government. The artist must take sides, he announced. In 1938, he and his wife, Islanda, went to Spain to learn directly about the fascist threat and to support the soldiers defending democracy. Three years later, after Spain had fallen to the pro-fascist dictator General Francisco Franco and World War II had begun, the American survivors of the Spanish Civil War made Paul Robeson an honorary member of the veterans of the Abraham Lincoln Brigade. Well, right around this time in 1939, um, Earl Robinson composed music for words that were written by Harry Schachter, a piece called Song of Spring. Two years later, in May of 1941, Keynote Records released Robeson's recording of this anti-war song. Unfortunately, the sentiments of the song uh, very quickly became unpopular uh, as Nazi Germany invaded Soviet Russia just a few weeks after the record came out and war uh, became all but inevitable. Nonetheless, let's listen to this recording from Robeson in 1941 and uh, perhaps hold out some hope that uh, on the precipice of spring here that we're on, we're not uh, likewise on the precipice of world war yet again. At war this spring Will we be fighting While the robins sing Will bayonets be a bristling And bullets do the whistling While the world is all in bloom In the spring Can it be that we'll be drilling When it's spring Can it be that we'll be killing When it's spring Oh, I'd rather take it easy, give that enemy a breezy, a bright and cheery howdy in the spring. Oh, is that a time for dying when it's spring, and the women to be crying when it's spring? When gardenias are a-selling, is that a time for shelling, when the lilacs are in bloom in the spring? Oh, I hope it won't arrive in the spring, for it's great to be alive in the spring. Oh, I hope it won't arrive 
when it's great to be alive, for it's great to be alive in the spring. to know that in the spring that I won't have to go in the spring when in the park on Sunday I would like to know that Monday will be just another day in the spring can I tell her that I love her in the spring when the skies are blue above her in the spring Though the skies are blue above her Can I tell her that I love her If we never meet each other in the spring? Oh, in Flandersfield there is a pretty spring In Flandersfield the larks still bravely sing And row on endless row The poppies bloom and grow but the richness lies below in the spring. Oh, I just like an ordinary spring. With people laughing just because it's spring. And whatever is his name, I am sure he feels the same. For it's great. To be alive in the Far and wide as the eye can wander, heath and bog are everywhere. Not a bird sings out to cheer us Oaks are standing gaunt and bare We are the peat bog soldiers We're marching with our spades to the bog Up and down the guards are pacing No one, no one can go Flight would mean a sure death facing Guns and barbed wire greet our view We are the peat bog soldiers We're marching with our spades to the bog But for us there is no complaining Winter will in time be past One day we shall cry rejoicing Homeland dear, you're mine at last Then will the peat bog soldiers March no more with their spades to the bog Doch für uns gibt es kein Klagen, ewig kann's nicht Winter sein. Einmal werden froh wir sagen, Heimat 
du bist wieder mein. Dann ziehen die Morsoldaten nicht mehr mit dem Spaten ins Moor. Dann ziehen die Morsoldaten nicht mehr mit dem Spaten ins Moor. That is Paul Robeson in 1942 singing the great anti-fascist song, The Pete Boggs Soldiers, which was written in 1933 by prisoners in uh, Nazi labor camps for political opponents of the Third Reich. Uh, this song came uh, out of a camp that held about a thousand socialist and communist internees uh, who were banned from singing existing political songs, so they made their own. The words apparently were written by Johann Esser and Wolfgang Langhoff, and the music was composed by Rudy uh, Goguel, and uh, it was later adopted by uh, Hans Eisler and Ernst Busch to become the version that, uh, that we know and is uh, widely sung um, to this day. And before that, we heard uh, just the year earlier, in 1941, uh, Robeson singing spring song uh and um well let's let's see now let's go ahead and uh we'll listen to another uh song from ropes and another recording from 1942 and another one um which uh which uh, musically was composed by earl robinson uh he uh he used a poem written in 1925 by uh alfred hayes and uh and in 1936 uh, put it to music to become uh, another widely known, widely sung uh, song called uh, Joe Hill, or I Dreamed I Saw Joe Hill Last Night. Uh, Joe Hill, who was executed uh, in 1915, uh, then uh, um, uh, honored by this poem 10 years later by Alfred Hayes. Joe Hill, the, uh, the musician and uh, labor organizer, uh, uh, rabble-rouser, revolutionary, um, and, uh, you know, much like Robeson, um, an outspokenly uh, revolutionary uh, music maker and, uh, and was uh, targeted for his political activities and, and really essentially was held as a uh, political prisoner uh, in, uh, in the United States, the land of the free, uh, in, uh, in, in Joe Hill's case, actually executed, and as we'll hear shortly, uh, in Robeson's case, uh, held, um, held captive uh, inside the United States uh, with his passport revoked. But first, let's listen in 1942 to Paul Robeson singing the... Uh, the uh, the Earl Robinson and Alfred Hayes composition, Joe Hill. I dreamed I saw Joe Hill last night Alive as you and me Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead I never died, says he I never died, says he In Salt Lake City, 
still, says I, am standing by my bed. They framed you on a murder charge, says Joe, but I'm dead, says Joe, but I'm dead. The copper bosses killed you, Joe, they shot you, Joe, says I, takes more than guns to kill a man. Says Joe, I didn't die. Says Joe, I didn't die. And standing there as big as life, and smiling with his eyes, says Joe, what they can never kill went on to organize. Went on. To organize from San Diego up to Maine, in every mine and mill where workers strike and organize, it's there you'll find your hill. It's there you'll find your hill. I I saw Joe here last night, alive as you and me. Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead. I never died, says he. singing Joe Hill and uh, and Paul Robeson's uh, most frequent uh, pianist, by the way, his name was Lawrence Brown, um, who we'll be hearing a, a bunch of tonight. We have heard already uh, this from a, a article in Smithsonian Magazine in April 1949, just as the Cold War was beginning to intensify. This is after World War II came to a close. Actor, singer, and civil rights activist Paul Robeson traveled to France to attend the Soviet Union-sponsored Paris Peace Conference. After singing Joe Hill, the famous ballad about a Swedish-born Union activist falsely accused and convicted of murder and executed in Utah in 1915, Robeson addressed the audience and began speaking extemporaneously, as he often did, about the lives of black people in the United States. Robeson's main point was that World War III was not inevitable, as many Americans did not want war with the Soviet Union. Before he took the stage, however, his speech had somehow already been transcribed and dispatched back to the United States by the Associated Press. By the following day, editorialists and politicians had branded Robeson a communist traitor for insinuating that black Americans would not fight in a war against the Soviet Union. Historians would later discover that Robeson had been misquoted, but the damage had been almost instantly done 
And because he was out of the country, the singer was unaware of the firestorm brewing back home over the speech. It was the beginning of the end for Robeson, who would soon be declared the Kremlin's voice of America by a witness at hearings by the House Un-American Activities Committee. Committee Chair John Wood, a Georgia Democrat, summoned baseball great Jackie Robinson to Washington. Robinson, appearing reluctantly, denounced Robeson's views and assured the country that the singer did not speak on behalf of black Americans. Robeson's passport was soon revoked, and 85 of his planned concerts in the United States were canceled. Some in the press were calling for his execution. The article goes on to read, When communists invited him to the stage of the Paris Peace Congress, Robeson was urged to say a few words after an enthusiastic crowd heard him sing. French transcripts of the speech obtained by Robeson's biographer Martin Duberman indicate that Robeson said, We in America do not forget that it is on the backs of the poor whites of Europe and on the backs of millions of black people the wealth of America has been acquired. And we are resolved that it shall be distributed in an equitable manner among all of our children. And we don't want any hysterical stupidity about our participating in a war against anybody, no matter whom. We are determined to fight for peace. We do not wish to fight the Soviet Union. Lansing Warren, a correspondent covering the conference for the New York Times, reported a similar promise for peace in his dispatch for the newspaper, relegating Robeson's comments towards the end of his story. But the Associated Press's version of Robeson's remarks read, quote, It is unthinkable that American Negroes would go to war on behalf of those who have oppressed us for generations against the Soviet Union, which in one generation has lifted our people to full human dignity. Close quote. The source of that transcript remains unknown. The singer's son, Paul Robeson Jr., has said that because it was filed before his father actually spoke, the anonym, anonymous Associated Press correspondent might have cobbled it together from remarks his father had previously made in Europe. By the next day, the press was reporting that Robeson was a traitor. According to Robeson Jr., his father had no idea, really, that this was going on till they called him from New York and said, Hey, you'd better say something, that you're in immense trouble here in the United States. Instead, Robeson continued his tour, deciding to address the out-of-context quotes when he returned, unaware of how much damage the AP account was doing to his reputation. Unbeknownst to Robeson... Roy Wilkins and Walter White of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, NAACP, were pressured by the U.S. State Department to issue a formal response to the singer's purported comments. The NAACP, always wary of being linked in any way to communist, disassociated itself from Robeson. Channing Tobias, a member of the NAACP Board of Directors, called him an ingrate, Three months later, on July 18, 1949, Jackie Robinson was brought to Washington, D.C. to testify before HUAC, the House Un-American Activities Committee, for the purpose of obliterating Robeson's leadership role in the American black community. The Brooklyn Dodgers' second baseman assured Americans that Robeson did not speak for all blacks with his, quote, silly personal views. Everyone from conservatives to Eleanor Roosevelt criticized the singer, the former first lady and civil rights activist noted, quote, Mr. Robeson does his people great harm in trying to line them up on the communist side of political picture. Jackie Robinson helps them greatly by his forthright statements, close quote. 
Well, that's just a little glimpse of uh, of kind of the, uh, the the cascade of um, of political uh, blowback that Paul Robeson received uh, as a result of saying, uh, well, sharing some I think pretty um, um, insightful uh, perspectives at this uh, at this uh, gathering organized to uh i guess really de-escalate the uh the brewing cold war in the wake of um world war ii um in fact uh let's give a listen now to uh to paul robeson uh speaking uh just a couple years later um at the uh at a, at a um at a performance that he gave on the uh, on the United States of the Canadian the United States side of the Canadian border, this is uh, after he had his passport revoked. Um, just to give a, a little uh, glimpse into uh, into really what uh, what Paul Robeson was saying, uh, for which he was receiving so much um, uh, really uh, v- well political repression. I speak as one whose roots are in the soil of my land. I speak as one, as I say, whose fathers and whose mothers toiled in cotton, toiled in tobacco, toiled in indigo, toiled to create, help create, the basic wealth upon which the great land of the United States was built. The great primary wealth came from the blood and from the suffering of my forefathers. And I say, as I have said many times, that I have a right to speak out on their blood, on what they have contributed to that land, and on what I have contributed also as best I can. But I say right here that that because of their struggle, I will go around the world, but I'm telling you now that a good piece of that American earth belongs to me. it belongs to my children and to my grandchildren. I have two of them, you know, two, two, two grandchildren. <laughs> boy about two and a half and a little girl about six months. Boy, they're sharp. <laughs> so there's a lot of America that belongs to me and to my people. And we have struggled too long ever to give it up. My people are determined in America to be not second-class citizens, to be full citizens, to be first-class citizens, and that is the rock upon which I stand. From that rock, I reach out, as I say, across the world, to my forefathers in Africa, to Canada, all around the world, because I know that there is one humanity, that there is no basic difference of race or color, no basic difference of culture, but that all human beings can live in friendship and in peace. I know it from experience. I have seen the people. I have learned their languages, I sing their songs, and I go about America wherever I may go, seeking a simple thing. It seems so simple that all people should live in full human dignity and in friendship. But somewhere the enemy has always been around who tries to push back the great mass of the people in every land. We know that. But I said long ago that I was going to give up my life to spend my day-to-day struggle in down among the masses of the people, not even as any great artist up on top somewhere, but right here in this park, in many of the picket lines, wherever I could be to help the struggle of the people. 
And I will never apologize for that. I shall continue to fight as I see the truth. And I tell you here, I hope to see you next year, wherever I am in the world. I'll come back to be here next year. I'll come back. And I want you to know that I'll continue this year fighting for peace, however difficult it may be. And I want everybody in the range of my voice to hear, official or, un or otherwise, that there's no force on earth that will make me go backward one thousandth part of one little inch. I will stay there. That is Paul Robeson uh, speaking with such defiance on May 18, 1952, at a concert that he uh, he gave on the uh, U.S. side of the Canadian border there uh, in the midst of his fight over his passport as he was uh, receiving uh, with the subject of so much uh, political suppression, political attacks, really being held as a political prisoner uh, inside the land of the free uh, this this uh, this this country that purports to have free speech, and uh, and that um, that recording uh, is also to be found on this uh, words like freedom record that was put out by the Freedom Archives in 2008, featuring uh, all different uh, excerpts of Paul Robeson speaking. Um, well, we're gonna take a quick little break now. When we come back, I'm gonna we're gonna backtrack again back to 1949. Uh, when this uh, when this whole firestorm began to kick up around Robeson uh, in the aftermath of World War II, as the Cold War and the Red Scare and McCarthyism and uh, and 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 the FBI under J. Edgar Hoover, uh, political suppression in the United States uh, was really um, kicking into uh, into the next gear, and uh, we're going to speak more about how. Um, Robeson was really a, uh, a victim of that kind of political persecution. So um, we'll be right back and jump right back to 1949. You're listening to Freedom Highway. I'm Nick Pankin, and I am glad to be with you as we continue to, uh, to celebrate Paul Robeson, the uh, wonderful um, American... Uh, well, so many things, but uh, for the purposes of tonight's show, um, musician and uh, outspoken um, uh, political advocate, uh, radical uh, political um, activist. He was born on April 9th, 1898, so we've just passed the anniversary of his birth. Now, um, before the break, we were talking about... Uh, what started to happen in 1949 as uh, Robeson was speaking out against the escalation of the Cold War, the vilification of, uh, of, of folks who were, well, I guess, uh, the Soviet Union and people who were um, trying to, uh, to uh, avert uh, the heightening of tensions between the U.S. and the Soviet empires. Um, so just a couple months after Jackie Robinson testified in front of the, uh, the House Un-American Activities Committee to slander Paul Robeson in uh, July of 1949, Robeson was scheduled to perform an outdoor concert in Peekskill, New York, organized by the Civil Rights Contra uh, Congress, uh, and this concert was met with a violent riot by local Klan members and sympathizers and, and with the widespread accommodation 
by local law enforcement, certainly uh, clan members and sympathizers among them. Um, and as a result of the riots, the concert was rescheduled for a month later, and when it happened, uh, 20,000 people showed up to hear Robeson sing. 20,000, that's, that's a lot of people. Uh, and um, volunteers uh, formed a ring, a human ring, around the entire event to, uh, to protect all of the intend- attendees from uh, violent rioters and uh, formed a ring around Robeson himself as he performed to protect him. So um, this is all happening, uh, you know, at the time of, uh, of, of Paul Robeson um, really... Um, falling under attack for his uh, political views, his expression of political views. Uh, I want to stray now from Robeson's voice himself, listen to actually a couple songs about this event, and then we're going to get back and hear directly from Robeson, Robeson himself. Uh, this is a recording from 2000 that was released in 2012 on the Mermaid Avenue Volume 3 uh, collection of songs composed by Woody Guthrie, are performed by Billy Bragg and Wilco, and uh, this is a song where, well, Woody Guthrie embellishes the number a little bit. This one is called My 30,000. he's the man that faced the Ku Klux Klan On Hollow golfing ground these words came sounding And all around him there to jump and clap and cheer I said the best, the best I had, my 30,000 said that Paul would lose his head when 35,000 vets broke up that concert but less than 4,000 came to side with the clan but around Paul's lonesome oak my 30,000 it's so classy bad it's not around the grounds 400 noble souls wish just as manhood they look exactly like the fleas on a tiger's back. Lost fish in the waters of my 
Billy Bragg and Wilco there singing uh, the words written by Woody Guthrie, who was at the Peekskill concert. Uh, I believe both of them, um, where Paul, Paul Robeson was, uh, was attacked by local uh, uh, white supremacists, uh, American uh, nationalists, um, and uh, at the second one, 20,000 people uh, showing up to hear Paul Robeson and to uh, protect him. Uh, Woody Guthrie there singing or writing My 30,000. Uh, again, that was performed by Billy Bragg and Wilco on the uh, Mermaid Avenue um, Collection Volume 3 which uh, was released in 2012. And for the interest of time, we're going to leave it at that, though there were a couple other songs that I did want to get in there, uh, being one from uh, Pete Seeger, Hold the Line, another from Rye Cooter called Three Chords and the Truth, but you can go listen to them on your own. Um, I want to turn back now to Paul Robeson himself. Uh, The following year, he had his passport revoked. He was... uh, he was, um, well, they attempted to pressure him into signing a loyalty oath uh, in, uh, in the process of renewing his passport, but uh, he refused, stating that it violated uh, all of his rights as an American citizen, uh, rightfully refusing in my opinion. Uh, eventually, Paul Robeson in 1956 was called uh, after, you know, a number of years of, uh, of being prevented from traveling overseas. His, uh, his um, income from uh, performing drastically reduced uh, with the prevention of, of his ability to travel internationally. Uh, and uh, in 1956, he was called before the House Un-American Activities Committee. This is a bit of a long audio clip, but it's really quite incredible. Uh, I have played it once before on the show a few years ago, but let's listen again. And this comes once again from the Words Like Freedom uh, collection from 2008. And this is a recording of Paul Robeson appearing before the House Un-American Activities Committee in 1956. Now, Mr. uh, Robeson... Do I have the privilege... I'm asking who's addressing me. I'm Richard Aaron. What is your position? I'm director of the staff. Did you file a passport application in July 2, 1954? I filed about 25 in the last few months. In July of 1954, were you requested to submit a non-communist affidavit? Under no conditions would I think of signing such an affidavit. It is a contradiction of the rights of American citizens. Are you now a member of the Communist Party? Oh, please, please, please. Please answer, will you, Mr. Robeson? What is the Communist Party? What do you mean by that? Are you now a member of the Communist Party? Would you like to come to the ballot box when I vote and take out the ballot and see? Mr. Chairman, I respectfully suggest the witness be directed to answer the question. You are directed to answer the question. I invoke the Fifth Amendment and forget it. I respectfully suggest the witness be directed to answer the question whether, if he gave us a truthful answer, he would be supplying information which might be used against him in a criminal proceeding. You are directed to answer, Mr. Robson. In the first place, wherever I have been in the world... The first to die in the struggle against fascism were the communists. I laid many wreaths upon the graves of communists. That is not criminal. Chief Justice Warren has been very clear that the Fifth Amendment 
does not have anything to do with the influence of criminality. And I invoke the Fifth Amendment. Have you ever been known under the name of John Thomas? Oh, please. Does somebody here want me to put up a perjury someplace? John Thomas, my name is Paul Robeson. And anything I have to say, I have said in public all over the world, and that is why I'm here today. Mr. Chairman, I ask that you direct the witness to answer the question he's making a speech. I ask you to affirm or deny the fact that your Communist Party name was I John Thomas. the Fifth Amendment. This is really ridiculous. The witness talks very loud when he makes a speech, but when he invokes the Fifth Amendment, I can't hear him. I have medals for diction. Uh, I can talk plenty loud. Will you talk a little louder? I invoke the Fifth Amendment loudly. Sir, who are Mr. and Mrs. Vladimir I Nikiev? invoke the Fifth Amendment. Do you know a Manning Johnson? I invoke the Fifth Amendment. Do you know Gregory Kaifitz? I invoke the Fifth Amendment. Do you know a Max Jurgen? I invoke the Fifth Amendment. Max Jurgen. Why don't you have those people here to be cross-examined? Could I ask whether this is legal? This is not only legal, but usual. By unanimous vote, this committee has been instructed to perform this very distasteful task. To whom am I talking? You're speaking to the chairman of the committee. Mr. Walter? Yes. The Pennsylvania Walter? That is right. Representative of the steel workers? That is right. And the coal mining workers? That is right. Not United States steel, by any chance. A great patriot. That is right. You are the author of the bills that are going to keep all kinds of decent people out of the country. No, only your kind. Colored people like myself? And you would let in the Teutonic Anglo-Saxon stop. We are trying to make it easier to get rid of your kind, too. You don't want any colored people to come in. Could I be allowed to read from my statement? Will you just tell this committee, please, while under oath, Mr. Robeson, the communists who participated in the preparation of that statement? Oh, please. The reason I'm here today, from the mouth of the State Department itself, is... I should not be allowed to travel because I have struggled for the independence of the colonial peoples of Africa. The other reason I'm here today, again, from the State Department and from the record of the Court of Appeals, is that when I am abroad, I speak out against injustices against the Negro people in this land. That is why I'm here. I'm not being tried for whether I'm a communist. I'm being tried for fighting for the rights of my people. We are still second-class citizens in this country, in this United States of America. My mother was born in your state. And my mother was a Quaker. And my ancestors in the time of Washington baked bread for George Washington's troops when they crossed Delaware. My father was a slave. I stand here struggling for the rights of my people to be full citizens in this country. And we are not. We are not in Mississippi. We are not in Montgomery, Alabama. I'm not in Washington. They are nowhere. And that is why I'm here today. You want to shut up every Negro who has the courage to stand up and fight for the rights of his people, for the rights of workers. And I have been on many a picket line for the steel workers, too. And that is why I'm here today. Would you tell us whether or not you know Thomas W. Young? I invoke the Fifth Amendment. Thomas W. Young is a Negro president of the Guide Publishing Company. I'd like to read you his testimony, quote, Paul Robeson has no moral right to place in jeopardy the welfare of the American Negro to advance a foreign cause. In the eyes of the Negro people, this false prophet is unfaithful to their country, and they repudiate him, close quote. Do you know the man that said that? I invoke the Fifth Amendment now. Can I read my statement? 
It is a sad and bitter comment. While you were in Paris in 1949, Mr. Robeson, did you tell an audience the American Negro would never go to war against the Soviet government? May I say that is slightly out of context. May I explain to you what I did say? I remember the speech very well. 2,000 students who came from populations that would range to six or 700 million people asked me to say in their name that they did not want war. No part of my speech in Paris says 15 million American Negroes would do anything. I said it was my feeling that the American people would struggle for peace. And that has been since underscored by the President of these United States. Now, in passing, I said... Do you know any people who want war? Listen to me. I said it was unthinkable to me that any people could take up arms in the name of a man like Senator Eastland of Mississippi against anybody. Gentlemen, I still say that. This United States government should go to Mississippi and protect my people. That is what it should do. I lay before you, sir, an article. Quote, I am looking for full freedom, unquote, by Paul Robeson in The Worker. July 3rd, 1949, quote, I said it was unthinkable that the Negro people of America or elsewhere could be drawn into war with the Soviet Union. I repeat it with a hundredfold emphasis, they will not, close quote. And gentlemen, they have not. It is clear that no Americans are going to go to war with the Soviet Union. While you were in Stockholm, did you make a little speech? I made all kinds of speeches. Let me read you a quotation. Let me listen. Do so, please. I am a lawyer. It would be a revelation if you would listen to counsel. In good company, I usually listen. But you know, people wander around in such fancy places. You said, Mr. Robson, and I quote, I belong to the American resistance movement, which fights against American imperialism, just as the resistance movement fought against Hitler. Just like Douglas and Harriet Tubman were underground railroaders and fighting for our freedom, you bet your life. I have to insist that you listen to these questions. I am listening. I quote further, why should the Negroes ever fight against the only nation in the world where racial discrimination is prohibited and where the people can live freely? Never. They will never fight against either the Soviet Union or the people's democracies, close quote. Did you make that statement? I do not remember, but what is perfectly clear today is that 900 million people, other colored people, have told you they will not. 400 million in India and millions everywhere have told you that. This was answered the question. He doesn't need to make a speech. Did you write an article that was published in the USSR Information Bulletin? Yes. Quote, I want to emphasize that only here in the Soviet Union did I feel that I was a real man with a capital M, close quote. I would say... What is your name? Aaron. I am quite willing to answer the question. When I was a singer years ago, and this this you will have to listen to. I am listening. I am a bass singer, so for me, it was Chalyapin, the great Russian bass, not Caruso the tenor. I learned the Russian language to sing their songs. I wish you would listen now. Mr. Chairman, I ask you to direct the witness to answer the question. Just be fair with me. I ask for order. The great poet of Russia is of African blood. Well, let's not go so far afield. It is important to explain this. Did you make that statement? When I first went to Russia in 1934... Did you make that statement? When I first went to Russia in 1934... Did you make that statement? In Russia, I felt for the first time like a full human being. No color prejudice like in Mississippi. No color prejudice like in Washington. It was the first time I felt like a human being. 
but I do not feel the pressure of color as I feel it in this committee today. Why do you not stay in Russia? Because my father was a slave, and my people died to build this country. And I'm going to stay here and have a part of it just like you, and no fascist-minded people will drive me from it. Is that clear? You are here because you are promoting the communist cause. I am here because I'm opposing the neo-fascist cause, which I see arising in these committees. Jefferson could be sitting here, and Frederick Douglass could be sitting here. Eugene Debs could be sitting here. Now, what prejudice are you talking about? You were graduated from Rutgers. You were graduated from the University of Pennsylvania. I remember seeing you play football at Lehigh. There's no prejudice against you. Just a moment. This is something I challenge very deeply, that the success of a few Negroes can make up for $700 a year for thousands of Negro families in the South. My father was a slave, and I have cousins who are sharecroppers. I do not see success in terms of myself. I have sacrificed hundreds of thousands of dollars for what I believe in. While you were in Moscow, Mr. Robeson, did you make a speech lauding Stalin? I can't remember. Have you recently changed what the mind about Stalin? To Stalin, gentlemen, is a question for the Soviet Union, and I won't argue with a representative of the people who, in building America, wasted the lives of my people. You are responsible, you and your forebears, for 60 to 100 million black people dying in the slave ships and on the plantations. Mm -hmm. Don't you ask me about anybody. I'm please. sure you wouldn't want to discuss with us the slave labor camps in the Nothing Soviet Union. Nothing could be built more on slavery than this society, I assure you. I would invite your attention to the Daily Worker of June 29, 1949, with reference to a get-together with you and Ben Davis, formerly communist councilman in New York. Do you know Ben One Davis? One of my dearest friends. He is as patriotic and American as can be. And you, gentlemen, are the non-patriots. Just a minute. You are the un-American. The hearing is now adjourned. I think it should be. I've endured all of this that I can. Can I read my statement? No! The meeting is adjourned. It should be. Well, that was Paul Robeson testifying before the House Un-American Activities Committee in 1956. Quite defiant, quite well-spoken courageous to the bone we heard tonight i think uh, some examples of how race is so often used to drive a wedge between people and obscure the relevance uh, to uh, struggles against uh, worker exploitation paul robeson being born uh, the son of a formerly enslaved black man he understood that living in a society built by the enslavement of black workers, we must uh, simultaneously struggle to overcome racial discrimination alongside the exploitation of all workers whose labor is expropriated in one way or another. That's all the time we've got tonight. We're going out listening to Robeson in 1959 singing... Scandalize my name.